0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and from the Holy Spirit. Amen. I've got to say, I've never had a chance to do this, to to share what I know to be my last message in a church. Uh, my first call, I was an associate pastor. didn't preach that often. Uh, And then leaving Florida, it was in the middle of the pandemic, so we'd already pre-recorded most of our our online services. Um, So this is is unique. And over the past week, I have spent a lot of time thinking about what to say, thinking about the pastors that have been influences in my life and and how they have impacted me. And I I think back, I've shared before, that I didn't really start regularly attending church until I was basically early in high school. Um, And I started going to a fairly large traditional style church with the organ and liturgy and the whole nine yards. Uh, They had a pretty sizable pastoral staff. Uh, and it's interesting because each of their pastors were kind of unique and, and had a unique impact and legacy on me. There was Pastor Arp, who was the head pastor, the lead pastor, the senior pastor. And he, was, he embodied everything about being a senior pastor. He had that gravitas of leadership, you know, where you kind of talked to him and you quaked a little bit. Um, there was a Pastor Rosso, who was the pastor emeritus, who was, he was, he was eclectic. I don't know that he ever brushed his hair. He, he was a really cool, very, like a genius guy, right? Uh, Pastor Roberts who was the family man. He had a bunch of little kids uh, He was the academic he would teach a Bible study and you'd leave thinking I need a Bible study on the Bible study Like that was the deepest stuff I've ever heard There was pastor Shusky who was the young guy who uh, he was obsessed with stand-up comedy His sermons would always involve some like elaborate dramatic story. that really stuck with you Um, Then there were vicars. There were pastoral interns as well. One that I remember in particular his name was Vicar Tige Culberson. Uh, he actually taught my confirmation classes. He stands out because, as I said, traditional church, typically, or not typically, always, they all wore clerical colors. So, you know, the black shirt, white tab, right? I mean, no matter what time of day you saw them, that's what they were wearing. Except uh, my family one Sunday went to Chili's right by the church and we're sitting there and who walks by our table but Vicar Ty Culberson and he's wearing like the loudest most garish tie-dye t-shirt you've ever he looked like a roadie for the Grateful Dead and I was like oh I like that okay okay Um, and then lastly was was Vicar Scott Abel who became pastor Scott Abel was actually called to that church for a period of time to do a church plant um, and and he really helped to form he actually ended up presiding over uh, my wedding as well so I, I look back At all these pastors and and vicars and pastoral figures and I realized how each of them impacted me and built me and it wasn't any one of them it wasn't their personality or anything it was it was them together and I realized the the significance of the pastoral office and how it's not about the person who stands here but instead how God is speaking through that person so then I got to thinking okay what's my legacy you know what is what is the one little sentence quip that somebody will say about me as they're reflecting back? And as I was looking at our readings today, I realized there was an epiphany, if you will, and, and I realized kind of at least what I have been going for, um, and I'll share that in just a minute. But first, let's let's go to God in prayer. Lord God Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for today, for bringing us together here now. Lord, I thank you for this church, for the people here in this room that we're able to worship together for for what they have meant to me and my life. Lord, I thank you for the chance to share this message. It is your message. I pray that every single week move me out of the way. It's not about me, Lord, but it is about you. And I submit myself to you and your Holy Spirit. And I pray that we would all be bold enough and courageous enough to do that as well. We would submit ourselves to your Holy Spirit that would speak now. In your name we pray. Amen. To illustrate this epiphany, I'm going to share a story. Uh, I recall being at a uh, seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. It was January, just coming back from Christmas break. It was that lovely gray slush that the Midwest gets in the middle of January, right? And I was all bundled up. I don't mind the cold. Uh, The issue is uh, St. Louis Seminary, Concordia Seminary is pretty old. The buildings are pretty old. And frequently when it was cold outside, boy, they would get that furnace cranked up and those radiators would just be screaming. You'd go in that room. I remember this particular day I walked in, I was all bundled up and and like instantly started sweating, you know, and you get like a headache and you're like, this is not good. So I actually for class that day, sat over by the window and I opened the window. Everybody thought I was crazy. I opened the window, kind of letting some cool air in, and that was the only way to kind of make it through the class. It was a systematics class, which means it was really like the heady, deep theology stuff. And the professor was teaching on uh, the the different natures of Christ, of Jesus, right? We believe that Jesus is fully God and fully man. Uh, and because of those kind of opposing views, fully God and fully man coexisting, there have been a number of heresies that have popped up as a pendulum swings one way or the other. He was talking about the Eutychian heresy, uh, which is the idea that, that Jesus is fully God and fully man, and those things become so combined that they essentially make a third new nature. Right? It's almost like if you took Mountain Dew and Dr. Pepper and mixed them together, Right? You're gonna make a, a new thing. You can't be like, mm, I taste notes of Dr. Now it's just gross, right? It, it's no longer Dr. Pepper or Mountain Dew. It's, it's something combined. Uh, And that's the Eutychian heresy, and then he talked about the Nestorian heresy, which is the idea that that he is fully God and fully man, and the two don't intermingle at all, they just kind of coexist. Imagine that you took the woods from two different trees and you just kind of glued them together, like you had redwood and you had pine, and you glued them together, and those two things are both there, but they're totally separate, right? And he's teaching this stuff, and I'm doing my best to stay awake and pay attention and, and all this, and... Um, as, as one with ADHD tends to do, I started looking out the window. And, and as I'm looking out there, and he's, he's teaching on the Eutychians and the Nestorians and all this, I, I see this, this young mother walking by in the, in the snow, in the slush, really. And uh, she probably was one of the wives, one of my classmates, I didn't know her though. She had three kids with her. One, she was pushing the stroller, kind of struggling along through this, this slush. She had another kid that was just bawling, just crying, walking along, holding onto her jacket and kind of tugging. And then the third one was like 15 feet ahead and like bounding along, trying to make snowballs. And you could just tell she was at her wits end. Mothers, you've never been there, right? That's nope, completely foreign to you in terms of concept. But as I'm watching her and I'm hearing this class, I'm thinking, this doesn't help her. Like, this is good to know. This, this topic is, okay, sure, this is interesting, but, but it's not going to help her deal with her day. It doesn't matter to her. We're so caught up in, in the weeds and these, these details. And so from that point on, I told myself that no matter what I taught on, no matter what I preached, I would make it as simple as possible. It needs to be approachable. It needs to be relatable. It needs to be able to, to hit people where they are, right? Right? And as I was looking at our readings, that's what really came out, that that this is what I have been striving for my entire career. See, in, in our Romans reading, which we heard just a moment ago, um, Paul, the Apostle Paul, who is the guy who wrote the letters that serves as the foundation for all of these minute little theological differences, right? Like, as a seminarian, I had to sit there and look at Paul's writings and dissect and, and parse and figure out what he was trying to say because it's so complex, and yet, in our reading today, we see Paul, who has a background as this really religious, educated person, this, this Israelite who was is so proud of his knowledge. We see him say, all of the commandments boil down to love your neighbor as yourself. The Ten Commandments, the 613 mitzvot commandments that he probably held to, all these different rules that the, that the scribes had built up, He says it all boils down to love. Jesus said the same thing. That's such a simple message. In our gospel reading, Matthew 18, that actually isn't the entire assigned reading. I I cut it down for brevity. um, Because the opening, I want to share though, the beginning of Matthew 18, uh, we see Jesus, right? Right? They had just had this big, big discussion about taxes and who gets what tax and, and how do they get and all that stuff. And it says that the disciples asked Jesus, who is the greatest in heaven? Right? They're, they're getting into the week. They're going, okay, who's the greatest? Who's the most important here? And they're probably expecting, maybe they're expecting an answer like the Sanhedrin. Right? These are the, the respected religious leaders. These are the guys that are in charge of, that society says they're important. Maybe, because they're the disciples, they're hoping that Jesus says one of them, right? Because that's how the disciples are, right? Maybe that's what they're hoping for. Instead, what Jesus does is he reaches into the crowd and pulls out a child. And he said, these. These are the greatest in heaven. Now you could interpret that as he's talking about the next generation, the continuation of the church, and there's probably something to that. You know, recognizing that that by by pouring into the young ones that the church is is sustained the belief. But then he goes on to say, if you don't have faith like a child, you will not be able to enter heaven. And like that's a bold statement. We heard that during the baptism. That's something that would have caught their attention. What does he mean by that? Well, I think it means. Just simple faith, right? The simple faith of a child. I want to make something clear, though. When I say simple faith, I don't mean stupid faith, right? Because if you've ever been like around a five-year-old or so, you know that the worst question that they can ask is three letters, why? Yeah, some of you know what I'm talking about. Mom, why is there wind? Uh, cause the, and then that, and uh, I don't know. Ask your dad, right? Like that's, mom, wh- why do magnets work, right? If anybody can tell me how magnets work, that would be, I'm 37 years old with a master's degree. I genuinely don't know how magnets work. It's it's a mystery to me. I think that it's God at work. But they ask these questions, why? Because kids are curious, right? So the faith isn't just based on being blindly accepting. There's still some curiosity. There's still room for, for questions and even doubts. No, the simple faith of a child is saying, you know, I don't really understand it, but I trust that it's true. I don't really understand why the sky is blue, but I trust that it's true. I don't really understand why wind is the way that it is, but I trust that it's true. We see this. Uh, when Jesus appears to Thomas, right? Thomas, who who said, until I see uh, the nail marks, I won't believe. And so he has evidence. He has scientific proof of the crucifixion, of the resurrection. And Jesus says, blessed are you because you believe and have seen, but even more blessed are those who have not seen and yet still believe. It's a very simple faith. It is trust. I also want to make it clear, simple doesn't mean easy. Because to have that level of faith, to trust in something that you don't believe is not easy. To say, God, I know that you are calling me to do this thing and now I'm going to go and do it is not easy. God, I see that you are putting me into this situation to have this conversation, to share my faith with this person. I see that you are putting me in this spot. To have that faith is not easy, and yet it can be so simple. See, so often we get into the minutiae to try and find a loophole, to try and find an excuse, to try and find a reason. that, Well, I don't need to do that. Somebody else will take care of it. Is that really what God said? Oh, that's the line of Satan in Genesis chapter 3, right? Is that really what God said when you start to parse these things out? But instead, we find that we have simplicity. So what is it to have simple faith and a simple God? It's trusting that God is with us. It's trusting that God cares for us. It's recognizing that our God himself knows what it means to be simple. See, in our actual reading, it talked about how uh, the 99 sheep and the one, right? If a shepherd has 100 sheep and one leaves, it says that he leaves the what? The mountains to go and pursue that one sheep. That seems, okay, leaves the mountains. This is Matthew 18. Matthew 17 is the transfiguration. Matthew 17 is when Jesus goes up a mountain and reveals himself in all glory. and is in this moment where he is free of, of the bonds of this world. The mountaintop represents God's paradise. mountaintop represents being in the divine space. And yet it says that he will leave that mountaintop to pursue the one. We have a God who's willing to enter into our simple world. And become simple himself, rely upon a young, first-time, newlywed mother to take care of him, the God of all grace and mercy, because he loves you. Even his love for you is simple. It's not conditional. It's not okay. Here's the contract. If you uphold all of these terms, then I will love you. If you do this and abide by that and you keep this mindset and you dress this way and you talk this way and you act this way and you vote this way and you be this way, then I will love you. No, his love for you is simple. He loves you because he loves you. No matter what you have done, no matter what you have been, no matter what is part of your story, God loves you. Let that be part of your story. See, we have a God who knows simple. Yes, there is opportunity and space for curiosity and to learn more and to experience more and encounter more. But at the end of the day, what saves us is our faith, not our knowledge not how good we are in Bible study, not how good of a prayer we are, or how good of a pastor we are, or how bad of a pastor we are, or anything like that. What saves us is our faith and our faith alone. I have been blessed by that simplicity in my life to be able to recognize the sacraments that God uses the simple. God uses simple bread and wine to do something amazing. God uses just ordinary, simple water to do something incredible. That God uses simple people, simple conditions, simple stories. You don't need to be an ancestor of this or derived from that or whatever. God can use you. My friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, you, this church, has been such a tremendous blessing to me and my family. And I know that you will be an incredible blessing to so many others in this community. You may look at yourself and say, I don't know, we're not the big fancy church. We're not Second Baptist. We're not Joel Osteen's church. We're not all these things. God blesses through you. You have blessed me. And I know that God will continue to work in you. There are incredible, exciting, momentous things happening in this place. Listen for God. Trust in his simple faith. It may not always make sense. It may be frustrating at times, but we simply believe. May you, the individual, know that you are loved so much. It's not conditional. It's not contractual. It is God's simple love because he knows you you are his beloved child. My prayer is that we can cling on to that simplicity, that we can let that faith drive us, that we can trust in our God as we take bold steps forward for the church. God loves you, and he is with you no matter what. Amen.